If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and open it with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You can find your place there. As you're finding your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to just encourage you and just underscore the announcements a little bit uh, with an invitation to our Connect in 60 lunch. It's an opportunity we do every couple months for folks that are uh, either brand new or fairly new to the church to join us for a free lunch following our third service. Now, since there is one more service after this one today, I know it's, it's going to be a little bit of back and forth. You have to make a decision. Do I want to go home and, and hold off eating, uh, or do I want to double dip and attend two services today, or just go grab a light snack? I don't know how you want to work that out, but we want to invite you to come back after our 1130 service that ends at 1230, so right about 1245 the, the lobby will start to thin out a little bit. We'll set up tables and we'll host a lunch right here. It's a 60-minute uh, meal and kind of an introduction to the church, to the ministries here. And so if you're here for the first time today, man, you picked a great day to show up. Free lunch doesn't happen every Sunday, but today's the day. It is happening after that 1130 service. So again, if you want to come back and join us at 1245, we'd love to have you for lunch today. Did you find 1 Corinthians chapter 10? All right. We're in second week of a series here we're calling Derailed, Thus a Train on the Platform. Last weekend, we began by talking about a young man named John Mark who, because of some uh, conflict with the Apostle Paul, uh, he was almost derailed. In fact, uh, the conflict... Uh, caused Paul and Barnabas, his ministry companion, to, to, to part ways and, and to go in separate directions. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before with a friend or maybe with a church or, or with a ministry to where you, you just came to a place of conflict and you had to part ways, you had to go different directions. Well, the good news is they didn't let it derail them. Paul went one way and he took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark and went a different way and the gospel went forth, the kingdom advanced and at the end of the day, Paul and John Mark were reconciled. In fact, he said, he's profitable to me in the ministry. Sometimes though, we're derailed by conflict with other people. But oftentimes, people are derailed in the faith because of things that are happening not externally but internally things that are happening in their own hearts. And that's the direction that I want to go today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 6, Paul says this. He says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. The they is the people in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, God's chosen people, Israel. He says the things that happened in their life they, they worshiped idols, they committed sexual immorality, they, they tested God, they grumbled against God. All those things occurred as examples to keep us from making the same mistakes. Skip down with me to verse 11, and, and Paul says this, these things happened to them, the, the discipline, the judgment of God, they happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if, he says, you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you've ever looked in the Old Testament about all of the 
the, the harsh judgment and, and the way that God came down on, on the people. And man, I, I don't know. I don't know if I like the God of the Old Testament. Well, I don't even know what is that in there for. This is why it's in there. These things, he said, are an example for you. And they come with a warning. Be careful that you don't fall. And then he goes on in verse 13 and he says, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. In other words, you're not the first to fight this battle. You're not the first to be tempted in this way. And then he adds this grace note. And he says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Somebody say amen to that. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's good news this morning, church, that you can endure it. There is a way out. I know sometimes we get in situations where it feels hopeless. We feel like I'm trapped. We feel like I'm stuck. We feel like there's no way out. But you know what the Bible says right here, and you just read it. There's a way out. God in his grace always offers a way of escape. For you and I, so that when we are tempted, we can endure it. The Bible is filled with warnings like this about people who started strong but shrunk back in their faith, about people who were destroyed because of the internal issues that were going on in their life. Jesus even describes what happens in one of his parables when the word of God is preached. He says when the word of God goes forth, it's like a seed that's being sown by a farmer. And he says the seed falls on four different kinds of soil. That's exactly what's happening even as I preach this morning. The word of God is coming out the same, but it's landing different. Which is good for me when I get no amens. I just go, it's the soil. It's not the seed. Come on, this is good seed. It's the soil. At least I tell myself that. <laughs> but one of those four soils that Jesus talked about, it's in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. And he said this, the seed that fell among the thorns... It stands for those who heard the word of God, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So Jesus gives this imagery of, of the word bears fruit in your life, and you receive the word on Sunday morning, and you say amen, but then you get back in your car, and, and then you go back into your work week, and all the cares of life, the riches, the pleasures, the worries, the good, the bad, it chokes out. The seed of the word. Paul gave us another picture in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. He said, Timothy, my son, I'm not giving you this, he said, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies that were once made about you, so that by recalling them, the word of God spoken over your life, by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Now, I don't want to mix too many metaphors here this morning, but, but Paul could have just as easily said, some have rejected the faith and a good conscience and have derailed regarding the faith. They, they didn't have trains back then, or I'm sure he would have used my metaphor, but they did have ships, and he said they were derailed. They were shipwrecked. 
in their faith. In fact, I, I was reading about a missionary one time who was translating the Bible uh, into the, a, a new language for a, a mo- nomadic Bedouin people that lived in the desert. And he got to that verse that says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. And it dawned on him, these people don't have a word for anchor. They don't have a need for a word for anchor. They live in the desert. And so he did his best and he translated it this way. He said, we have this hope as a hitching post for the soul. To help them to understand the, 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 the solid steadfastness of the hope that we have. And, and so I, I think I could say today that, that those who who forsake a good conscience and the faith, they've suffered shipwreck or they've been derailed or as Jesus said, the the word of God has been choked out of their life. Today, I I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament. We're gonna camp out in Genesis chapter 13 and 14 for a little while this morning. And rather than what Paul did and look at the whole nation of Israel as an example, I, I wanna zoom in closer than the people of promise. I, I want to zoom in to the point when it was just a person with a promise. When God first spoke to Abraham and he said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to, many nations are going to be blessed through you. I want to look at his example. Abraham is called the father of of our faith. And in Genesis 12, his story begins at this point. He's still going by the name Abram. But right there with Abram is another man named Lot. And Lot was the nephew of Abram. And not only was he Abram's nephew, but Lot actually lived with his uncle. He lived with Father Abraham. And and what I want to unpack with you today is a story about a man, Lot, who was directly connected to the promises of God. But he didn't heed the warnings. He wasn't careful. The seed of the word in his life was choked out. The faith was shipwrecked. And his life was derailed. Look at it with me in Genesis 13. And we're going to read a lot of scripture today. We'll put these on the screen. But if you like to underline and highlight things in your Bible, I want to encourage you to find your place with us in Genesis 13 today. Beginning in verse 5, it says, Now Lot was moving about with Abram. Also, he had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them both while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling began to arise between Abram's herders and Lot's The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, this is verse 8, Let's not have a quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Verse 10, Lot looked around, and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So, Lot chose 
for himself the whole plain of Jordan, and he set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched tents, or his tents, near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. I want you to just, you've heard the context now. I want you to just look into the word with me for a few moments this morning and allow the spirit of God to just speak a right now word. How many of you know God can do that? He can take the unchanging, inerrant word of God and he can speak a right now word into your life. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, right now I ask that you would just breathe the breath of God over this service Lord, I don't want to just get up here and talk for talking's sake. We didn't come this morning for an Old Testament history lesson. We believe the breath of God is on the pages of your word. Lord, would you illuminate the text? Would you open our ears, Lord? We know the seed is perfect, but the soil is fallible. So God, would you prepare our hearts? As Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So God, we receive your word with readiness today. And all God's people said amen. Amen, amen. amen. Verse 10 just jumps off the page to me. It says, Lot looked around and saw. Have you noticed people see what they want to see? Have you heard about something or read a headline and then turned on the news and on one channel, it seems like the greatest thing that's ever happened, and then you flip to another channel and the world is falling apart? Same story. Different perspective. I'm sure none of y'all could relate to that metaphor. You, you've not watched the news in the last year and a half. You, you don't know anything about that. People see what they want to see, don't they? And, and so in this moment, it says, Lot looked around and he saw. And can I tell you what he saw? He was short-sighted. He saw land that was well-watered, that's for sure. He saw land that would sustain all of his flocks and his herds. And so in that moment, that's all he wanted to see. And so Lot chose the path of least resistance. Verse 11 says it even more clearly. Lot chose for himself. Can I tell you who he didn't choose for? Lot didn't choose for his wife. He didn't choose for his children. Lot didn't choose for his grandchildren, as the story later bears out. The people of Sodom were notoriously wicked. In fact, verse 13, look at it. It says they were sinning greatly against the Lord. That's what's happening in the land of Sodom. But Lot has convinced himself that he can profit from Sodom's wealth without being affected by its wickedness. Don't know if you've ever had that internal struggle before, but Lot only saw what he wanted to see. Quick gains. Least resistance, green pastures, deep wells. And, and here's what happens in the text. He doesn't openly rebel against God. It's, it's not that blatant. He doesn't deny the faith. Lot doesn't reject God. But, but I would propose to you that he does something a lot more subtle and maybe even more dangerous. At the end of verse 12, it says, he pitched his tents near Sodom. In other words, Abram says, you can go anywhere you want to go. 
You go north, I'll go south. You go left, I'll go right. Anywhere you want, you can set up camp. Your family has been blessed. You have many cattle and, and herds and sheep and, and wealth and riches, and you can go anywhere, and you can live your life, and I'll go the opposite direction and live mine. And Lot decides of all the places in the world, I think I'll set up near Sodom. Sodom is a wicked city, notoriously wicked, sinning greatly before the Lord. He, he set up in, in such a way that he wasn't in Sodom, but he could just, he could just peek out the, the tent flaps and he could see Sodom. He, he was just, he was near it. I'm not in, in the, I'm not in the thick of it. I'm, I'm just, I'm close enough to benefit from it and convinced that I won't be tainted by it. Can I just say today, anyone who's committed to living their life for Jesus and they're asking questions like, how far is too far? How much can I get away with and still be good with God? I mean, I don't want to fall out of good graces, but I want to have a little fun. I'll just set up near Sodom. Can I tell you, anybody that says they're living for Jesus and they're asking those questions, they're not living for Jesus, they're leaning away from Jesus. So the reality is when Jesus invited us to follow him, he didn't say, don't cross that line. He said, take up the cross and follow me. So we're not leaning away. That is good, man. The 830 didn't get that. Somebody better write that down. He's leaning near Sodom. Proverbs 13, 20 says it like this. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a company of fools suffers harm. In other words, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's what the wisdom word is. And so Lot's first mistake is just independence. He chose for himself. He saw what he wanted to see. He took the path of least resistance, and it, it leads to being derailed. Look a little farther with me in Genesis 13. Verse 14 goes on. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after that Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I'll give to you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could actually count the dust, then your offspring could also be counted. Go, he says. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Now, isn't this amazing? I mean, Lot just made his choice. He set up his camp near Sodom. And once he's over there setting up his, his little homestead, God says to Abraham, I'm actually going to give it all to you anyway. <laughs> I mean, north, south, left, right. It's, it's, all, it's all yours. I'm, I'm giving it to you, Abraham. And I love this moment because it was a moment that God could test their ability to steward blessing. Remember, God had said to, to Abram, he said, I'm going to bless you, 
And every nation's going to be blessed through you. And Lot is living in his house. Lot is a recipient of that blessing. And so, so God gives them an opportunity to, to reveal what's in their heart. And, and Abram proves himself to be trustworthy with the blessing of God because he was the elder. He had the right. He was the man of the house. He could have chose any place for himself and said, Lot, you go over there. But instead, a blessed man lives with an open hand. And he said, Lot, I tell you what, God's been good to me. You go wherever you want to go. I'll just, God's going to bless me continually. I don't have to cling to what I think I need. You pick first. But Lot revealed his heart as well in that moment. And he, he chose for himself. He said, wow, the grass looks really green over there near Sodom. The wells look really deep near Sodom. And he chose for himself. It kind of reminds me of the story of King Solomon. Maybe you'll remember this story of how God just gave him wisdom to to discern a situation when two women came to him and they were both arguing that the child was their baby. And nobody knew how to resolve the conflict. And so Solomon says, well, just go get a sword. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll cut the baby in half and we'll give you both half. And when he said that, the real mom cried out, no, give her the child, let him live. And Solomon said, ah, ah, that's the real mom. The other woman said, fine, cut the baby. And Solomon knew. And in the same way, God, God revealed the heart of Lot in this moment. Look at the next verse with me, verse 18. It says, so Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now this verse is really important because there's two decisions that Abram made right here that I think are really significant. Number one, the first thing Abram did when he got to the place he chose to settle down was he built an altar. He, in other words, he said, I want to make sure wherever I live, the presence of God is welcome in that place. And he said, I, I want God's presence here with me. First thing he did, he built an altar to the Lord. The second thing that happened is also really significant. And you don't really get it in this verse, but if you read on a little farther, by the time you get to chapter 14 in verse 13, you realize how important it was that he chose to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron because we discover in the next chapter that Mamre was actually an ally of Abram's. In other words, when he set out, he chose a place where he'd be protected. He chose a place where he would have allies. Now, now Lot, in his pride, he just assumed, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't need any help. I'm going to choose what I think is best for myself. I'll pick whatever piece of land I want. I'm not, I'm not concerned about the culture of the people that live there influencing me or influencing my family. If this is the most convenient, I'll just set up camp near Sodom. There's a lot of Christians that are like that. They think they got a little Jesus and I, I don't need to be connected to the church. I don't need allies. I don't need other people to help me. I, I got this. I'm good. I know what I'm doing. It's interesting that in all three of the synoptic gospels, 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus' words are recorded. He said, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray, but Lot, he wasn't watching. He didn't have any allies. He had nobody to protect him, and he wasn't praying. He didn't have any altars. You know, it's funny, when you read this portion of the Bible, you see a pattern in Abraham's life. He built altars everywhere he went. He would go to a new place, he'd build an altar, he'd welcome the presence of God, and and it says something about the heart of Abram that he continually built altars to the Lord. But can I tell you, the absence of altars in Lot's story also says something about his heart. It's sad to me how often in the church today, people avoid coming to the altar for prayer because they're worried about what other people are going to think or what other people are going to say. I I see the consternation on people's faces when they're trying to decide, should I go? I don't know. He did give that one weird illustration earlier. If I go, people are going to think that's my problem. And they're afraid to, to go and to have an altar experience with God because of what people will say. Can I encourage you to be less concerned with what people might say by you coming to the altar and be more concerned with the absence of the altar in your life? Lot never built an altar. But Abram had altars, and he had allies. As you read through the rest of Genesis 14, into the next chapter, it begins with with a bunch of names of of places and people that are so hard to pronounce that you can check out before you get to the purpose of it all. But it describes nine kingdoms. Five are at war with four. And right in the middle of it is Sodom and Gomorrah. These two kingdoms, and they actually have the upper hand. They're in the group of five, not the group of four. And they go to war against these other kings, and they lose anyway. They lose the conflict. And when we get down to verse 11 and 12 of Genesis 14, we we understand why it matters. Look at it with me. It says, the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Now, this is a conflict that had gone on for 14 years, the Bible tells us. So this is not Lot's fight. This is not his battle. He should have nothing to do with this. But now here he is. He's lost everything he owns and he's lost his freedom. Why? It's right here in the last phrase of the verse. Since he was living in Sodom. See, when he first chose for himself, he just said, I want to be near Sodom. It's wicked, so I don't want to go in, but I'll just be be near because that's convenient. Because that works for me. I can still get ahead near Sodom. But by chapter 14, he's living in Sodom. Can I tell you, that's the way sin works in our life. It it always takes us farther than we want to go. Always keeps us longer than we want to stay. And it always costs us more than we're willing to pay. And it started out with just near Sodom, and now he's in Sodom, and 
Paul said it best, I think, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, when he said, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Somebody probably came to church this morning just for this verse. You just just needed to be reminded today, bad company corrupts good character. There are some relationships that we just can't afford to keep. It's always easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. And Lot chose to live near Sodom, and he just got sucked into the culture and into the influence that all of a sudden the, the, the bondage and the, the, the backlash that was coming to Sodom came to his house. And all of a sudden he's enslaved and he's trapped. And for some of you, you just need to, you need to hear that stern warning from God's word today. Bad company corrupts good Character, because you may be dealing with many, many different issues, but in reality, they all, they all stem back from one self-centered decision, from one wrong relationship. You chose to set up camp near some things, and now you find that you're living in those things. Maybe you used to just want to have a drink, but now the drink has you. Maybe you used to just appreciate the annual Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, but now you're up late at night watching the skin flicks on your smartphone. Maybe it used to be a a prescribed painkiller, but you don't get your fix from the pharmacy anymore, and somehow you went from being near something to being in something, and you're trapped by it. And like Lot, you recognize, I, I This isn't my fight. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I wound up in this place. The Bible's very clear exactly how we wind up in that place. The brother of Jesus, James, said in James chapter 1 and verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. They choose for themselves. Then, he says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. He's saying, it it just grew up in your own house. You know, it just grew up. It was manageable for a while. You know, you could nurse it. You could feed it. You could handle it. But now, it's standing tall. It's rebellious. It's looking you in the eye. It's in your kitchen. What happened? My desire has given birth to sin, and when it's full grown, gives birth to death. The rest of Genesis chapter 14 tells how Abraham actually went and rescued Lot. It's a cool story. I don't have time to get into, but apparently Abraham had 318 highly trained officers living in his house because the four kings and their kingdoms that had Lot and all of his possessions, the Bible says these 318 Men, they were like the Navy SEALs of the Old Testament. They're like special forces, special op. They go out and, and they rescue Lot and all of his possessions and they defeat all four adversaries. So if you thought Abraham was a bad dude before, now picture him with 318 ninjas on a recon mission in the middle of the night. That's, that's Genesis 14. And at the end of that story, Lot is saved. Lot's free. Hallelujah. And how many of you know that ought to be the end of the story? Cue the music. 
But y'all know I never end service early, so. That's not the end of the story. And like some of you, you know the last time God saved you should have been the last time. But it wasn't the last time. In fact, when you get into Genesis chapter 19, go there with me. We find out that Lot has followed an old familiar footpath. Genesis 19 begins like this in verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. you got to understand something about this verse. It says Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. The gateway of the city was the place of commerce. The gateway was the place where deals were done, where negotiations were made where people were seen. In the Old Testament times, the judge didn't sit in the courthouse. He sat in the gateway. And it says that Lot was sitting in the gateway. So he's gone from being near Sodom to living in Sodom to leading in Sodom. What what was something that was a temptation and something that had an allure in his life, all of a sudden has become his life. He's not influenced anymore. He's an instigator. He's sitting at the gate in Sodom, and the Bible says these two angels came to him for a very specific reason. God was about to destroy Sodom. The stench of their wickedness had filled his nostrils, and he said, I'm going to destroy this city. Go and tell Lot to get out of the city. And the angels told him, they said, we're, we're here with a special message from the Lord. God's judgment's coming. We're going to stay the night in the town square. And when they told Lot that, he said, no, 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 don't stay in the town square. Stay with me. And they said, no, 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 we're fine. We're going we're to sleep in the town square, and, and, and we'll deal with this tomorrow. And Lot begged them, it says. He compelled them to come in and to stay with him, and he cooked them food, and he locked his doors. And a few hours later, we understand why he was so adamant about them staying in his home, because in verse 4 of Genesis 19, it says, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, and both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. It was because of these sinful sexual immoral practices that we have the word sodomy named after the men of Sodom. And Lot pleads with these men, don't do this. Don't do this. And they continue to bang on the door and they're they're surrounding his house and Lot even goes so far as to say, I'll give you my two daughters instead. Say, "How, how insane is that? That's the kind of virtue signaling that you get when your address is Sodom. We call evil good. I'll give you my daughters. Just don't harm these men. The angels reach out, they grab Lot, and they they pull him back in the house, and they, they lock the door. And then they strike all the men of the city with blindness so that they can't continue their pursuit. Pick the story up with me in verse 12. 
It says, the men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Verse 14 says, so Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. What a sad commentary on the life of a man who lived in the house of God's blessing, a man who knew what it meant to prosper because of the Lord's goodness. Lot had so compromised his convictions so many times. He went from living near Sodom to living in Sodom to leading in Sodom that when he finally got to the place where he had to stand up and say, thus saith the word of the Lord, nobody took him seriously. I fear we're at a crisis point in our American Christian culture, and the crisis is not that God isn't speaking. And the crisis is not that the church isn't hearing. But the crisis is that we've, we've walked and talked and lived so near the world that when we stand up and declare that the judgment of God is at hand, no one takes us serious. Come on, you got to be kidding, right? Like, you think God actually cares about my sin? What about your sin? What about you, Lot? Look at you all up here sitting at the gate. Who are you to tell me? I thought he was joking. In other words, because of compromise, Lot was not followable. And can I, can I tell you, that can happen to you. It can happen to me. If we continue to compromise, if we continue to say we're living for Jesus, but we're leaning towards the world, people will look at us and we'll become unfollowable. Not just in the marketplace, it can happen in your own home. I mean, you, you, can, only, you can only say so many times to your kids what your convictions are about the word of God. They live with you. They, they know the truth. And how many times have we seen young people that grow up and they graduate high school and at the same time they graduate their faith because they were living in a home that only put Jesus first on the weekend. Lot was not followable. I want to ask the worship team to come back. and As the story goes on, Lot tries to convince them to go and they won't go. They won't listen to him. And, and Lot is actually hesitant to leave. He's reluctant to, to walk away from the life that he built in Sodom. And finally, the two angels, the Bible says they literally grab Lot by the arm, and they grab his wife by the arm, and they grab his two daughters by the arm, and they drag them out of the city. And can I just flip the script and, and take the focus off Lot for a moment and say something about the incredible, amazing grace of our God? This is the goodness of God. 
When Lot is so obstinate, so stubborn, so rebellious, and his family wants nothing to do with the goodness of God, here's what our God is willing to do. He comes to the place where you are stuck in the muck and the mire of your own sinful decisions, and he grabs you with hands of grace, and he drags you to a place of safety. And somebody today needs to hear that, because I didn't come this morning to throw stones at your head. I came to tell you there is a God who's full of love and mercy, who even when we don't deserve it, even when time after time we've made a decision to choose for ourselves and to see what only we want to see, He shows up in grace and He grabs us and He pulls. He says, come on. Maybe today somebody's here and that's what's happening right now. The spirit of the living of God is pulling at you, friend. He's saying, come on. You've got to get out of here. You've got to change. You don't know what's happening tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring. No man's guaranteed tomorrow. You've stayed here long enough. It's time to move. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 23, it says, by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But verse 26 says, but Lot's wife looked back. She became a pillar of salt. Here's another costly mistake in the commentary of how a whole family can be derailed from their destiny. What had happened is when the angels grabbed Lot by the arm and said, you got to get out of here. What they said specifically was run to the mountains. Get as high and as far away from this place as you can. And you know what Lot said? Lot said, the mountains, I I don't want to go to the mountains. I mean, that's that's a long way. I, I won't survive in the mountains. I tell you what, there's a little town over here called Zoar. It's a small town. I can survive there. And so instead of doing what the angels told him and running to the mountains, he decided, you know, I just need to dodge a bullet here. I mean, let's not flip our whole life upside down. I mean, let's not rearrange everything. Let's not head for the hills. Let's just, let's just make a little bit of a pivot here and see how things work out. And the truth is, for Lot, it did work out. But this word comes as a stern warning. To any married person in this place today, this word comes as a warning to anyone with children, and it's this their level of conviction, their ability to resist temptation may not be as strong as yours. So, when the Holy Spirit deals with you and tells you it's time to separate yourself from sin, buddy, you better run for the hills. You better get as far from Sodom as you can because Lot escaped judgment. But his wife, she looked back. I want to call someone to repentance today that hears this word and just senses that I've been choosing for myself.
I've been seeing what I want to see. I've been setting up camp near Sodom. Maybe it's beyond that. You've been living in Sodom. Or maybe you've been leading in Sodom. And things you never thought you would do, you are now the protagonist. Would you let grace grab you today? Just let the grace of God in this moment, before we leave this service, grab a hold of you. And hear and respond to his word. Break out of the destruction. Break out of the addiction. Break out of the bondage and step back into the blessing that God has for your life. Jesus spoke about this moment. In Luke chapter 17, he was, he was talking about what it's going to be like when he comes again. He said it's going to be like a flash. It's going to be unmistakable. And he's talking about the day of reckoning and in Luke 17 verse 32 is one of the shortest verses in the whole Bible but it's packed with a punch Jesus said this remember Lot's wife exclamation point remember Lot's wife Remember when I, I did everything in my power to, to grab their attention, to waken them to their senses. Remember when I took angels and literally grabbed them by the arm and pulled them to a place of safety. But somewhere in the process, she was so gripped by all of the, the pleasures of living in Sodom. She was so enthralled with the house they had built, the, the job her husband had, the position they held, the, the wedding she was planning for her two daughters, that when I even rescued her from death and destruction, she looked back. There was something theirs that she wanted more than what I was offering. And Jesus explains in the next verse, he says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. In other words, Jesus was saying, you can't fully commit to follow Christ without also fully committing to leave the world. You can't say, Jesus, the cross before me, the world behind me when you're living near Sodom. So if that's you today, and you just sense the Holy Spirit dealing with you today, I want to call you to repentance in this moment. I want to call you to respond to the gracious hand of God that's reaching for you, that's pulling for you. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, as we bow our heads, as we close our eyes in this moment, would you just arrest every wayward heart, every rebellious mind, every blind eye that only has seen what they wanted to see. God, if there's areas of our lives where we've allowed the influence of others, maybe relationships we need to break free from, or decisions that we've made, maybe it was a one-time thing, but now it's become a habit. We used to be near it, now we're stuck in it. Now we're caught in it. God, today, I thank you for the promise in your word that it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we will confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.